0: Good morning. It's good to be with you this morning. About a month ago, we uh, looked at Mark chapter 9, the story about the, the father with the demon-possessed boy. And this morning I want to pick up right where that left off in Mark chapter 9, studying the disciples' discussion about who is the greatest. and What can we learn from that? What does it mean to be great in the kingdom of God? So we'll be studying Mark 9 and also the first part of Matthew 18. And we will have to do a little bit of flipping back and forth between those two passages. And I'm sorry for that because that can be a bit of a pain. Now just a reminder of of where we're at in Jesus' ministry. This is after the transfiguration. Jesus is is going back through Galilee uh, for the last time. And he's teaching the disciples. He's about ready to go to Jerusalem for the last time and the cross. We're going to start reading at Mark 9, verse 30 through 37. And then, right after we're done reading that, we'll jump over to Matthew 18 and read the first six verses in Matthew 18. Mark 9, verse 30. I'm reading from ESV this morning. receives not me, but him who sent me. Now let's switch to Matthew 18. Matthew 18, verses 1 through 6. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus, saying, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And calling to him a child, he put him in the midst of them and said, Truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. But whoever calls as one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to have a great millstone fastened around his neck and to be drowned in the depth of the sea. Now that that last verse about the millstone, I I mainly included that for for context. We're not going to be studying that particular um, verse today, at least not much in depth. Now before we start looking at what Jesus had to say about greatness, I want us to spend a minute thinking about This argument that the disciples had, uh, what, what might have caused this argument, and how did it take place? Jesus had just finished warning them for the second time as a group that he was going to die and that he would rise again. Now the disciples didn't understand And I don't completely blame them because Jesus often did speak about things in figurative terms. And so maybe they thought this was figurative too. They didn't understand what Jesus was saying. If they had, they probably wouldn't have gotten to this particular argument at this time. But they did know that Jesus was going to Jerusalem and that something was going to happen there. Something major was going to take place. And I think they still were guessing that Jesus was going to set up his kingdom on earth. In Jerusalem. And if if that's what they were thinking, then more than likely they were also thinking that pretty soon um, we're going to get our rewards right around the corner, um, you know, positions of authority, whatever we get for following Jesus. That might have been the main thing that instigated this argument. Uh, a couple other things that might have kind of influenced this argument might have been the transfiguration and Jesus having chosen just three of them to go up on the Mount of Transfiguration, and the other nine are left behind, and they try to cast out the demon, and they can't. And So, just a good time for a little bit of arguing about who is number one, really. It's, it's really ironic, and it's sad, uh, that this argument would take place right after Jesus tells them that he is going to perform the ultimate sacrifice and die for them. And and they follow that up with, I wonder which one of us is the greatest. Charles Spurgeon put it this way. He spoke of his abasement. They thought of their own advancement and that at the same time. So how did this take place? They were on the road. They were walking down the road on the way, Jesus says. Apparently they probably were not in the close vicinity of Jesus when this argument started. Maybe Jesus was up ahead, and the disciples were trailing along behind, or maybe it was the other way around. Either way, they they got into this argument, and and thought that Jesus would not be aware of it. And it's it's easy to imagine that an argument like this would get kind of personal quickly and kind of heated. And uh, one scholar points out that. That's probably what happened because of, of what is talked about in Matthew 18 that follows up. Jesus talks about uh, reconciliation and forgiveness and restoring someone, a brother who has who was, uh, offended you. So maybe this argument left some wounds and got a little bit heated. So it's too bad the argument took place, but we're kind of fortunate that it did because we get this really important teaching in response to it. And we struggle with the same tendencies that the disciples did to some extent. And it is an interesting question. Who is the greatest in the kingdom of God? I think Jesus lays out three keys to greatness in his kingdom. Let's look how Jesus brings up this issue here and how the disciples respond to your mark. Uh, Jesus didn't jump in just when the, the argument was going on. He, he waited till they got to the house at Capernaum, which might be a lesson for us to begin with, that uh, just because something wrong is going on, we don't always have to jump in right away and get involved. Maybe maybe we can let things cool down. So the, the, they're in the house in Capernaum, and the disciples are probably kind of unwinding from the journey, knocking the dust off their sandals, Passing the water pot. I, I, don't, I have no idea what, what they would do to, to recover from a trip like that. But Jesus raises the question, back there while we were walking along on the road, what kind of discussion were you all having? What were you all talking about? Now stop and think about this for a minute. Uh, I don't know how long this particular trip took, but I'm guessing they had plenty of time for more than one discussion while they were walking along. And surely they talked about other things besides who is the greatest. But apparently this particular subject dominated their conversation enough. It was such a major topic that when Jesus asks them this question, they don't even they don't even make an attempt to kind of Steer them off to something else that they may have also talked about. You know, they don't say, "Oh well, we talked about." You um, know, hasn't rained for a while. We talked about. Um, you know, when are we going to go fishing again? Uh, Thaddeus sprained his ankle again. You know, any number of subjects they could have worked in here, and they didn't. They didn't even try. Just very quiet. Even Peter is silent. They're very reluctant to open their mouths because instinctively they know that this discussion that they were having was not appropriate. Not something Jesus would approve of. Which says a lot about who Jesus is. He had created an environment in which this kind of discussion was was shameful, something to be ashamed of. And if, if that's all that we had recorded about this event, we would at least have that conclusion left with us, that it's not right for Christ's servants to be fussing about rank. But we've got a lot more. Let's, let's look at Jesus' first statement in response to this subject. Actually, we, we, ought, to, we ought to take a second here and, and harmonize Uh, the Mark and the Matthew accounts because over in Matthew it says the disciples came to Jesus saying who is the greatest as though the disciples were the ones that brought up the question. How do we uh, make these accounts um, harmonize? Here's one explanation that I heard and I think it makes sense that Jesus asked them what were you discussing? There was a long silence that at some point eventually was broken by the disciples who said Who's, who's the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And then Jesus starts with this in Mark. He says, if anyone would be first, he must be last of all. Jesus is outlining the, the path to greatness here. He, he makes a very similar statement a chapter later over in Mark 10, when the disciples were, uh, let's see, they were they were angry at James and John because they'd come to Jesus and wanted to sit on Jesus' right and left hand. And Jesus responds, Whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. That's the pattern we need to follow. We'll talk about that a bit more, but for now, what we can get from this this initial statement of Jesus is that a self-promoting attitude will guarantee that you're not great in the kingdom of God. In fact, the situation is a bit more serious than even that, as Jesus demonstrates over in the Matthew account. The house that they are in is in Capernaum. And more than likely, this is Peter's house. Jesus spent some time at Peter's house in Capernaum. And if this was Peter's house, uh, this boy that Jesus calls to himself may have been Peter's boy. How old was he? Well, in Matthew 18, it says that he called the boy, so he came to Jesus. He was old enough to walk. Um, but he was young enough for Jesus to take him up in his arms and cuddle him, embrace him. And he was young enough to not be a brat yet, I would say. He's humble. So a little boy. Uh, let's, let's move over to the Matthew 18 account and see what Jesus has to say, say about this boy. Matthew 18, verse 3. He starts with the word Truly. That's amen. That means get ready. What comes next is very important. Listen up. Unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, for disciples who are are daydreaming about um, crowns and scepters, this is a real shocker. You can't enter the kingdom of heaven in your current state. You need to change. You're unfit. The Greek word translated changed could be, in some some translations here, it's turn. Um, It could also be translated converted or changed. You need an about face. There's no point in, in worrying about who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven if you're not even qualified right now to enter the kingdom of heaven. It's kind of a dumb discussion to have. You must lose this self-promoting attitude. It's incompatible with Jesus and his kingdom. I think Jesus was, this is a little bit of conjecture on my part, so take it with a grain of salt, I guess, but I think Jesus was a little bit concerned that these disciples, and and maybe the, the, the leaders that would come after the disciples, that left unchecked this desire for greatness would just kind of turn them into a, a different Kind of scribes and Pharisees. Uh, Over in Mark 12, he warns about the scribes and Pharisees like this. He says, Beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes and like greetings in the marketplaces and have the best seats in the synagogues and places of honor at feasts who devour widows' houses and for pretense make long prayers. They will receive the greater condemnation. So don't walk in their footsteps. Don't follow that pattern. Now when I put these, these uh, first few kind of opening events or statements by Jesus together, uh, when, you, when you put together the ashamed silence of the disciples and then Jesus' statement that if you want to be first, you must be servant of all. And then the warning that unless you turn, you cannot enter the kingdom. That put that all together and to me the first key to greatness is that we must reject this spirit of self-promotion and it can show itself in so many ways Um, trying to get really good at something just to impress people Uh, trying to know more than anyone else Uh, fear of, of failure not trying things Getting upset when people don't recognize that your ideas happen to be great ideas and should be adopted. Daydreaming about impressing people. Making inner inner comparisons. Did I do better than he did, or did he do better than I did? I think he did a little bit better than I did, but over in this other area, I still did better than he did. You know, it it kind of bothers me how easy it was for me to come up with this list of manifestations. (laughs) Trying to teach our kids that, uh, you know, trying to teach them the ABCs by the time they're six months old. Um, Grayson, by the way, could roll over at two weeks old. I just want to point that out. (laughs) You know, all different ways, This not not all of those things are necessarily inspired by um, a spirit of self-promotion, but they can be. And I haven't even mentioned Facebook. These, these are all manifestations of, of the same kind of disease that the disciples had. We want to be great in the eyes of others. And we need to reject that spirit. Spirit of self-promotion. It gets in the way of what Jesus wants to do with you. So deny yourself. Reject the spirit of self-promotion. That's the first step towards greatness. The second step, the second key, is that we pursue a childlike humility. And you can't really separate this from the first step, uh, the first key ingredient. I'm really only breaking them apart for kind of organizational purposes. Let's look back at Matthew 18, verse 3 again. Unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. So to even enter, you must become like a child. Jesus reiterates this over in, in Mark 10 when the disciples uh, prevent the children from coming to him. Over Mark 10, verses 14 and 15. The disciples apparently hadn't learned their lesson about children yet. But when Jesus saw it, he was indignant. Now, I, I love the word indignant here because if you, um, if you want to get an idea of how incensed Jesus was, go look at the account where the... Um, The children are are praising Jesus and saying, Hosanna to the son of David. And the religious leaders are indignant. It's the same word there, translated indignant. And I'm guessing they were pretty mad. And I'm guessing Jesus was pretty mad. He was indignant and said to them, Let the children come to me and do not hinder them. For to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. What does it mean to become like a child or receive the kingdom of God like a child? There's a number of ways in which we could probably talk about us needing to be childlike. The one I want to focus on primarily is what Jesus emphasizes in verse 4 here in Matthew Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And I have a, a kind of fun with the mental picture of the disciples sitting around in this house in Capernaum. And, um, you know, here's this boy, maybe Peter's boy, sitting on Jesus' knee. And he's, you know, little and, and dirty and probably smells like rotten fish or something. And, and they're looking at him and thinking, I have to become like this little boy? Yes, and we do too. A couple reasons, a couple ways in which children are humble. To begin with, children are humble because they they are dependent on others and they're very aware of that. Uh, they're very free to admit that they need help getting something done. Sometimes we wish they were a little less... Dependent, a little more independent. We adults, probably especially us men, uh, we like to be kind of independent. We like to be self sufficient. It can be kind of embarrassing to ask for help, to admit that we need help it makes us feel kind of small and needy, you know, basically makes us face the truth about ourselves. Children are humble because. They, they need help, and they're happy to admit it. Children are also hum- humble because they don't, they don't care about rank, unlike us. We, and probably some of us struggle with, with this more than others, but the tendency is for us to kind of care about uh, being admired and, and looked up to and uh, makes you feel important, indisposable, maybe gives you a feeling of power. Children, they don't need that. They they don't care about being more special than anyone else. I'm talking about young children here, or knowing more than anyone else, or being better. They don't care about the rank of others either. I I was I was reading in the Reader's Digest lately about a woman who was able to arrange a visit uh, to the White House with her two-year-old daughter. And I don't know exactly how this was all arranged, but they were actually supposed to have a photo session with the president. And I, I assume there were some others that were involved in this activity, too. So they were supposed to be able to meet the president and have pictures taken. Of course, this little girl, two-year-old, I think her name was Claudia, was all dressed up, very fancy clothes, and her mom was too. they They're in the red room with some other people and waiting for this thing to get started. And the, the two-year-old starts to fuss. And you know how this goes. These things can escalate quickly. And um, so she's fussing about her shoes. She wants to take off her shoes. And then she wants to take off her dress. And her mom's like, no, no. And about this time, just when things were kind of reaching a climax, a hush falls on the room, meaning the president has entered. And her two-year-old throws herself on the floor, just stretched out in full temper tantrum mode, right at the feet of... President Obama. And also the White House photographer happens to be there and starts snapping these pictures. And one picture, it, it went viral. Um, there's it, a, a picture of Obama with his hands kind of stretched out with kind of a look, kind of bemused, kind of helpless. You know, what do we do with this? And here's this kid, this two-year-old, stretched out in front of him. He's probably in, inwardly making comparisons to certain Republicans. But she threw this fit, you know, she was going to throw her fit. She didn't care if it was the garbage collector or the president in the room with her. It made no difference to her. She was going to throw her little temper tantrum. Now, kind of a negative example in some ways, but no, no awareness of rank. Very unaware of rank, made no difference to her. Have you ever noticed how much time uh, three-year-olds will spend bragging? You know, you get a bunch of three-year-olds together and you constantly hear all this bragging, bragging about who can stack the most blocks, bragging about who knows the most ABCs, bragging about who has the, the prettiest dolls. You know, you don't hear that at all. They might, they might be fighting and pushing and screaming and yelling, but you don't hear any bragging doesn't come a later but as we get older we get less mature and we start caring about things that we shouldn't so we need to pursue this childlike humility and and forget about how great we are or how we measure up to others and focus on how great God is and how much we need him it's our daily bread why does this make you great in the kingdom of heaven Well, someone who humbles himself is is so aware of his need for Savior to begin with. But then also, as we humble ourselves and and stop focusing on ourselves, I think that uh, we empty ourselves in a way that, that maybe God fills with his nature. So... Pursue a childlike humility, that's the second key to greatness in the kingdom of God. And the third key is to serve as Christ served. Let's move on to Mark 9, verse 37 now. Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me, and whoever receives me receives not me, but him who sent me. I think there's a, a couple things Jesus is emphasizing with this statement. I think one thing he is is showing how much he values um, children, literal children. But I think especially in this in this account, he is talking about spiritual his spiritual children. Uh, he goes on to expand this idea in Matthew 18, where he talks about the parable with the lost sheep, and and the shepherd goes out just to. To find the lost sheep, not willing that any of these should should be should perish or be lost. And then there's the parable about, um, no, I'm sorry, there's the warning about the millstone, which we brushed on. He values his children. The other thing that Jesus is emphasizing is this is the kind of service that we need to be involved in. It's the kind of lowly service we need to be engaged in. You you take time for your brother, you are gentle, you're compassionate, you care for them, even if uh, it's a little boy who smells kind of fishy, watch out for each other. Here's why we should serve our brothers and sisters as Jesus did. There's a very simple reason why we should be eager to serve each other and that's because they represent Christ. When we welcome them in His name, we, we are welcoming Christ. When we mistreat them, we are mistreating Christ. This is something Jesus stated uh, at least three other times in different forms. Back in Matthew 10, when He was sending out the disciples, the 12, He said, He who receives you receives Me, and he who receives Me receives him who sent me and then of course you you remember the account over in Matthew 25 where he says as you have done it unto the least of these my brethren you've done it unto me or as you've not done it you've not done it unto me and then of course Saul on the road to to Damascus Jesus says why are you persecuting me When you serve each other because of your love for Christ, you serve Christ. A lot of meals were made for our family lately uh, with the birth of Grayson. And and you know, you ladies, and and a lot of this this meal sharing goes on here. You ladies, when you make a meal, you make a, a 9 by 13 of lasagna for some other family. You're probably not thinking, I wonder if Jesus likes lasagna. But. I think he does, and I think you should you should think about it um, in a, in a way you are serving that to Jesus, and be aware of that as you as you go through that act of service. Um, some fellows recently, about a month ago, helped Lowell out covering the strawberries. They probably didn't think, you know, I'm off to help Jesus cover the strawberries, but. If they did it for Christ, that's what they were doing. They were serving Christ. Instead of thinking about how I can be greater than my brother, I should be thinking about how can I serve him? How can I serve Christ through my brother? Make yourself a servant and follow Christ's pattern. And we read this already from Mark 10, where Jesus says, Even the Son of Man came not to, to be served, but to serve And to give his life as a ransom for many. And that service should be genuine, it should be humble, it should be loving. No one says it better than Paul in Philippians 2. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. So easy for me to forget that that verse comes before this next part that is very familiar to us. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself my becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. How does God respond to someone who has humbled himself to this degree? You remember what comes next. Therefore, God has highly exalted him. Okay, just a minute to recap. How does one become great in the kingdom of God? I think there are the three keys That we reject the spirit of self promotion, uh, we pursue this childlike humility, and we serve as Christ served. We all want to be effective um, in in God's kingdom, we want to be instruments. And uh, I guess the one one of the takeaways for me, and I'm not sure what takeaways you will will get from this passage, but for me, the one thing is um, any. I have to reject any notion or scheme. It's so easy to to do these things without even really thinking about them. Any notion or scheme that would, you know, try to advance myself or my personal, you know, my personal promotion, whatever, that has to be rejected. Um, That is a sure way to make us not very useful in God's hands. Instead, we need to humble ourselves and and to be open with each other about our weaknesses. You get a chance to tonight, of course. And always open with, with God, looking to him as, as our daily, um, as the one who, who we, we depend on daily. And then, and then to focus on following Christ's pattern and seek to serve each other. And in that way, we are serving Christ. God bless you.